everyone. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to Double Date with Dateline. This is our first episode of the new year. We're starting it off with a double date. 2021, the most phoenix rising from the ashes year of our Lord ever. We can't say that that yet, though. We don't know. We have to say the most question mark year. This year is in limbo. We don't know yet. We're just going to have to see. We hope it won't suck as bad year. It couldn't possibly. But I've been burned before. I was burned by dinosaurs. Dinosaurs could come back. Yeah. We picked a special for this double date episode. We tried to find one on ID that was a Christmas episode, and I found it. You found it. It happens to be my worst nightmare. It is. And not the show Your Worst Nightmare, also on ID. Let me put it this way. I I did ask Kimberly ahead of time if this was okay, because I was concerned, because I know this is a fear of hers. And so I'm going to start this off with a trigger warning for people (laughs) that are extremely claustrophobic. Right. This will not be an episode for you. Yeah. Because of what happens here. I feel like this is everyone's fear, or it should be. If it's not, like, what's wrong with you? Is this not a normal fear to have? I think this is like more if you have a phobia, if you can't even hear about this. Like I can't watch the movie Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone because I sweat so bad that like I have to take 15 showers. No, I can't watch things with heights. Yeah, I really freak out. Yeah. But I also really freak out when this particular thing happens on TV and have trouble watching it. Yeah. But I got better. Like this episode did not bother me as much as I thought it would. There was an episode of CSI that they did where it happened, and that one scared me more. So The Vanishing? That didn't scare you? I'm assuming that The Vanishing was based a little bit on this. Oh, The Vanishing is the worst. The absolute worst. So let's get into it. This is a crime to remember. It's called Coffin for Christmas. It is season five, episode four. Do you remember this crime? Do you know about this? No. Well, I feel like I have heard it on another show because this didn't really ring a bell to me, but the whole thing felt very familiar. Mm. So either I saw about, heard about it on another show, unsure. But I do think that coffins are quite pricey. And so a funeral spread for Christmas is not a bad idea. A funeral spread? Like the whole shebang, a package. Like what they'd sell you at the funeral home. Oh, so like getting that as a Christmas present? The buffet and the plot and the coffin and I see. the services of the guy who works at the funeral home, whatever his commission is. If he has to give a speech or something, I don't know how it works. So you're saying as a gift to me, when you are elderly, you're going to give me the money for your funeral. So if you are the one that has to pay for it, I how dare you assume I won't be married, but I probably won't be, and you will have to pay for it, so good luck. I also have a brother. He will probably have to pay for it. I'm sorry. I was more assuming that your partner in life had passed. Oh, I outlived? Yeah, right. With my diet? That is what I was assuming. With the amount of Cheetos I eat? I don't think so. No, Kimberly, you're going to live forever. <laughs> We can't talk about this. It's the holidays. We can't discuss this. What's that from? No, Stanley, you're going to live forever. Yes. Oh, my God. That's the funniest. 
It's like Ryan's only funny moment. It's his only funny one. He's funny all the time. I don't find him. I don't find him that funny. I find him one of the least funny characters on The Office. I mean, there's funny characters in The Office. So he's ranking in the lower part for me. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Bob Vance. Hey, what kind of work are you in, Bob? Come on, that's funny. That's funny. No, there are funny moments, but I'm saying on the whole of funny moments, Ryan is... Yeah, you're right. A little bit. He's not as funny as Kelly. And it's usually in combo with someone else. I was just going to say, when he's with Kelly, we get funnier moments, but how much is that Kelly? It's hard. No, no, Stanley, you're going to live forever. No, Stanley, (laughs) you're going to live forever. And it's like very (laughs) earnest. I really like that one. So, and it trails off because yeah, it's, like, it's like too emotional. No, I think he's doing it like a sarcastic. I don't read it like that. I read it very much like, no, like because it's how he wants. He wants Stanley's yearbook too. remember his photo album. Like he's kind of like low key obsessed with Stanley. See, I read it completely different. Like when someone's like, I'm out of here and you're like. No, don't go. Please come back. Stanley, we'll miss you. I thought it was like that. Let's ask him. Does anyone know him? Let's oh my text God. Him. Can you text right. him real quick? Yeah. No okay, problem. Just give it, shoot him a quick bing. Or yeah. t- no, I'll shoot woof him. A him. Chat. I will woof him. Are you kidding? A rough one. <laughs> How dare you? Anyways, none of this has to do with anything about what we're talking about, which is the trigger warning for this episode for claustrophobics. But it just maybe you want to hang out because the ending may not end the way you think. So we are opening. The opening doesn't help. We're opening <laughs> with young ladies, young girls, preteens, tweens in a grassy lawn, all in like white and pink dresses with bows and flowers in their hair. And a young woman in voiceover telling us that the sunny, warm Florida brings its own Christmas traditions to an otherwise snowy holiday. And basically their Christmas traditions include playing creepy ga- grain games. Keepy Grames. Keepy Grames. <laughs> That's like Slender Man. Slender Man's nickname is Creepy Grames. <laughs> Keepy Grames. Creepy Games on a lawn. The girls in a circle chant, you're dying, you're dying, you're dying. I was judging at first, like, what children play this game. But then I thought about the Bloody Mary and light as a feather, stiff as a board and Ouija boards and all the weird stuff that kids do. And then I guess it wasn't as weird. It's weird to play this game at Christmas. I don't feel like it was a Christmas game. Around the birth of the baby Jesus. I feel like it's just something they played all the time. I think so too. I think they were doing it for dramatic effect, but it seemed weird for them all to be also in pink and white at Christmas. It seemed like Easter. Also, if you're talking about people raising people from the dead, again, Easter. But that's fine. This is a total another side note. Stay on theme, children. Get with it. This is where you should be pretending to give birth. Well, being a virgin. But Kimberly, it's Florida. So. No virgins in Florida. <laughs> no. And it's backwards. So they're saying, they're chanting, you're dying, you're dying, you're dying. Okay. Now you're dead. I'm sorry. I should also note this game is taking place in the middle of the day. Normally these games take place at a slumber party at night. Yeah. Not it's... in the middle of the day on Christmas Eve. It's a weird time thing. Rich people, man. But it's also in the... 50s. No. Well, yeah, I guess it would be the late 50s. Okay. Because what happened is in 68 or something. So I think this would be in the late 50s. 
I don't think this game was around in the late 50s. It's just make-believe, and then you dramatically pretend that one of your friends has died, and you're trying to revive them, like Pastor Biley with his group in Africa that he does, like Chad Daybell. So you're dying, you're dying. Okay, now you're dead. So it's very overdramatic. Poor Barbara is the young girl lying in the grass with her arms crossed, and they all have to concentrate really, really hard to bring her back while lifting their, her body and saying, light as a feather, stiff as a board. And I was like, is this all the same game or are we just wrapping them into one? I don't remember the death part being part of light as a feather, stiff as a board. Me, me neither. But maybe I'm just, maybe we just, maybe we had shorter attention spans in our day and age. So they cut that part out of the game. I'm sorry, you had a shorter attention span because there's no way I ever played that game. Oh, no, you didn't. No, I wasn't also allowed to go to slumber parties, so I wasn't given an opportunity to play light <laughs> as a feather, stiff as a board. But I'm going to play it with my husband and my cats, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so they're lifting her to see if she'll levitate off I the ground. I can tell you right now, I'm sorry, that one of your cats, you will not be able to lift off the ground <laughs> with one pinky. Say his name. <laughs> Say his wanna- name. I don't want him to know. If you're going to shame one of them, shame him to his face. No, I don't want him to know. (laughs) I need you to apologize to Bruce. I'm sorry, Bruce. It's all right. He'll be all right. So he just needs to eat some kibble. Bruce is thick like me, and it's fine, Bruce. We are both sides beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate that. So anyways, this is just a game, Kimberly. It's just a way to pass the time. Well, they didn't have Nintendo then. Right. But what happened to Barbara was not a game at all. So let me be clear that all of this footage of the Light of the Feathers Stiff as a Board game is being interspersed with a young girl, the same girl, Barbara, actually appearing to be buried alive in a dark swamp in a coffin by several men. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty spooky. So it's like a foreboding shadow of what's to come. Later in life, yeah. I guess, like 10 years later. So now we are 10 years later. Or a sense of hope because she could remember those fond times when she has plenty of time to think when she's in the coffin. Or she thinks, is this when I invoked the curse? That's a great point too. Which is more what I would be doing, which is like going back through saying, what have I done? Attempted fate. Right. I shouldn't have gone into that fortune teller tent at the fair. (laughs) Okay. So in Atlanta, Georgia is where we set our scene in December 17th, 1968. So this is an old case. And our narrator, one of our main narrators for this is one of the ladies from My Favorite Murder Mm -hmm. named Karen. Thank you. I wanted to say Yvonne. Yvonne is no one, is it? No. Is Yvonne part of my favorite murder? No, it's Karen and Georgia. Karen and Margaret. Okay, nope. Georgia. (laughs) I'm doing really good. So it's just one. And you claim to be a true crime podcaster. It's just Karen. It's like not knowing the president's name. And Karen did a really good job. And I feel like Karen could have her own show on ID. She's on this show all the time. She's a regular on this show. So if you, so people out there may have, if they listen to us and my favorite murder, which I think that most people listen to My Favorite Murder, then you may have heard this case. Yeah, but not the way we're going to tell it. Because we're just going to recap what ID tells it. Exactly. This is You're getting less information. So for the facts, go somewhere else. 
do they have facts on that show? Yeah, they do research. They do. Or do they have do they have someone that helps them? Well, they have someone that does it for them, yeah. That sounds lovely. Okay. So, anyways, in 1968, the police are called to the Roadway Inn Hotel, and this is the room of Jane Mackle. Jane tells them that her daughter, Barbara, who is a university student at Emory University, which is somewhere in Atlanta, has been taken in the night. It's 4 a.m. Barbara and her mother were staying at the hotel because Barbara had been really, really sick with the flu, but she's a good student. It was finals week, and she was determined to sit for her finals no matter what. So her mother came down, pulled her from the dorms, and decided to care for her at the hotel while making sure she could get to her finals. That's a good mom. It's very sweet. That's a Joni move. It is a Joni. It's a straight-up good mom move. That was great. Also, can I say that one of my biggest fears, I have so many. This is this show is called Kimberly's Phobias. Mm-hmm. One of them is being kidnapped and having tape put over my mouth because I would suffocate because 90% of the time I can't breathe through my nose because my allergies and she has the flu. And literally says, I need a new nose. She says, what do you want for Christmas? She says, what I really want is a new nose. And I was like, if you had said that in 2020, that would mean something very, very different. Right. Rhinoplasty. Rhinoplasty. Exactly. Okay. Not to put too fine a point on it, or actually to put a fine point on it. That's what it does. That's what the right Not always. Does. Sometimes it does a button. I don't think people are asking for a pointier nose. I feel like that's when you get a mistake. Right, right, right. You get right. the MJ, the Michael Jackson. Okay. Yeah. So regardless, none of this has any bearing. So, But I do think they did rhinoplasty in the late 60s. Probably, you're probably right. I'm not going to argue about that. I'm going to say yes, ma'am. I think I actually know someone who had it in the 70s, so. Can they come on the show and tell us all about it? Yeah, I'll ask. Okay. So that night there was a knock at the door at four. It's very early in the morning and it's a policeman. And she sort of opens, the mom, Jane, sort of opens the door a crack. And the policeman says, ma'am, I need to tell you that there's been a car accident involving a white Ford and you're needed at the hospital. And so the mom at this point, Jane, turns back in the room and says, oh, no, a white Ford. Isn't that Stuart? And starts to open the door. And as she's opening the door, a man pushes his way in the room, followed by a more slight man in a ski mask with rope. A rag with chloroform is placed over Jane, the mom's mouth, but she still sees Barbara being forced out of the room by the kidnappers. So we get a hint that the smaller assailant was about the size of a teenage boy. This becomes important later and was a real red herring for me, who knew nothing about this case. I'll go into that later. There's a few things here that are confusing to me. The most confusing arrives soon. Go ahead. You have something? No, I'll save it for later. I'll save it for later. Okay. And I lost one of the things I was going to say. Into what? Into the void. Okay. (laughs) It's into the universe. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember what You said it, it free. So Stuart Woodward is the first person on the scene to the hotel room. And Stuart is the one who we think the white Ford car accident car belongs to. He is apparently... Oh, I know what I was going to say. Do you go with them, even if they have a gun? Because I was always taught, never let anyone take you to a second location, even if they're going to shoot you. We're in 1968. They didn't have a gun, I don't believe. No, they did. They said, the mom said she was taken at gunpoint. Oh, at gunpoint. Okay. Well, maybe I should pay more attention. I did, I missed that. I saw a rope. 
I saw one of the clue weapons, not two. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Was there a candlestick? Yeah. <laughs> I saw a dagger <laughs> and a rope <laughs> and possibly a lead pipe, but that's another story. Also, the lead pipe and the candlestick do the exact same thing. We're all in agreement on that, right? Yeah. No, the 90% of the things are just in the wrench. It's all just a blunt weapon. Oh, the wrench does the same thing. It's that's all annoying. a blunt force weapon. Yeah. Three do the same thing. Doesn't count. Yeah. You need to pick different weapons. One of them should be poison in the main game. It's not until you get to Master Clue has poison. That's a great idea. Should be in the main game. Yes. Because that's even a joke in the movie where they think that Mrs. Peacock thinks for a second she's being poisoned. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. all right. The sherry. Anyways, yeah, that's frustrating. So, anyways, Stuart appears at the hotel room from the campus. He's Barbara's best friend, and he is wearing a bright yellow cardigan. And what time is this? 4.30, probably. In the morning. Yeah. Bright yellow. Okay. Okay. So Robert Mackle. Suspicious. Is, Robert Mackle is next to arrive, besides the police. He is the father of Barbara and wife of Jane. Suspicious of him, too. What? I'm suspicious of everybody. I think it's an inside job. I wasn't suspicious of Robert because he drives up from Miami and seems upset. He's in a suit. He runs a giant real estate company in Miami and has some influence out in the world because he apparently is a very good friend of J. Edgar Hoover. I knew that name from Clue, the movie. Clue as well. (laughs) So that seems like a pretty good friend to have. He is the current director of the FBI. So that'll help in this. And seeing this is the kind of case, as we learned from Karen, from My Favorite Murder, that since the Lindbergh, I did not know this, that since the Lindbergh kidnapping, every kidnapping case is an FBI ordeal. It's Mm -hmm. not local jurisdiction. I need to learn more about that kidnapping, the baby. Oh, yeah. Did the baby come back or did the baby die? The baby died, I believe. How sure are you of that? 90%. Oh, good. Okay. It's hard to tell by your face sometimes. And then sometimes I wonder if I'm actually thinking of Murder on the Orient Express, but I think I'm thinking of the actual case. literally all of our knowledge based off of Agatha Christie and Clue. Yes. So J. Edgar Hoover puts his two best agents on the case, but really the main one that we hear about is Agent Schroeder. And I like that name because of- Because of Peanuts. Because of Peanuts, because he's the- pianist. And I like that. So he takes off right away to Atlanta and the FBI starts questioning Stuart in the hotel room the minute they get there and starts questioning Jane about Stuart because Stuart seems like, well, I mean, I get it. Stuart's the first one on the scene, bright yellow sweater, and he is Barbara's best friend, Mm -hmm. not her boyfriend just the best friend. And he even says, I know that it seems odd, but we are just, we like each other. We're best friends. I think it's kind of sweet, but I am very suspicious of Stuart. Number one, the sweater. Yeah. It's all about the sweater. It's not that they said, uh, but they brought up his car. They brought, yeah. How would they know what kind of car Stuart had? And then Stuart says something that's very suspicious to the FBI, which is they say, why would anyone take Barbara? Why would this happen? And he's like, well, obviously she's worth a crap ton of money. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say that, mm-hmm. but he says it. And this is when we find out that the Mackle family is like the biggest. It's not just 
some real estate. He's the biggest real estate developer in South Florida. They're worth like 60 to $65 million. So now I'm going to ask another really important question. Mm-hmm. Why in the world are they staying at the Roadway Inn? Maybe it's nicer than it sounds. Or looks. Or looks. Well, that could be a ID network set dressing issue. I don't think any Roadway Inn is nice. Maybe... Where are they again? Out in Atlanta. Yeah, there should be a better hotel. So yeah, it got you thinking, didn't it? Are they very religious people? I don't think so. Why? Christmas. And where did Mary and Joseph? There was (laughs) no room at the inn. So the wee baby Jesus had to lie in the manger, remember? Or you don't know about this. So I'm teaching you now. I've heard of this story. Yeah. The wee baby Jesus was born in a manger. Yeah. So do you think that they just said, well, if the inn wasn't good enough for Mary and Joseph, we should be fine here? I would think if you were really religious, you wouldn't stay at the inn because you wouldn't want to take up room for that Jesus could have. Oh, I see. Leave room at the inn for Jesus. Okay. For Passover, you leave a seat at the table for Elijah because one day he's going to come. So I don't know where I'm going with this. I think that probably... The answer to my question is that the Roadway Inn was the closest to the college. That makes sense. So then why did you even ask? Because I wanted to make it suspicious and I got you thinking, didn't I? Of the family? You're making me suspicious of the mother now? We don't know anything yet. Why aren't you suspicious? I was suspicious of them all. Not of the mother. I was like, no, Stuart's definitely in on it. And Jane seems nice, but we've seen this before. So I was questioning. So baseline... They're worth a lot of money, but Stuart is the only one talking about the money. So for some reason, this makes him number one suspect. But I think the thing that makes him more a suspect is the fact that he just leaves and goes home for Christmas break. What kind of a shoddy best friend? Mm -hmm. Your best friend has just been captured and you're like, okay, I got to go home for Christmas break and see my mom and dad and do my laundry. No, Stuart. What would you have suggested he do? Start a search party? A company... Jane and Robert back to Miami. Yeah. And say, I'm going to stay with the family. Best friend. If you were missing, I would be camped out at your house. Thank you. Whether your parents wanted me to or not. And I know you would be camped out here because you would think that my family was incompetent and you would be right. So (laughs) that would be the right move for you. So, but he doesn't. Stuart Stuart goes and the FBI tail him, which is Yeah, that's weird. You're right. That's really weird that he It's weird. There's a few things that are weird. So they're going to keep an eye on him, which makes me feel better. The FBI by this time is also stationed at the Mackles Miami home. And at 10 a.m. that morning, they get a call from a woman with an accent saying, this regards Barbara, please listen very carefully. Tell police to look under a tree in the northeast corner of the house. It's like, what is this, a scavenger hunt? Yes, this this is when it got exciting. And I was like, okay, here we go. Now we're starting. So... In the northeast corner of the house, first of all, I don't know how they knew which tree it was because there's a lot of trees, but that's fine. They find a beaker, like this broken Benson beaker with a ransom note rolled up inside. So science scientist kidnapped. So a scientist. So she was kidnapped by science. Yeah. And so they think that there must be either an accomplice in Miami who planted the note or the note had been there for a while which I was kind of like, okay, we we figured that out. 
that the note was probably there before, but that's fine. The note asked for $500,000, which today is like three point something million. And then the note gets a little scary. It says that Barbara is buried in a, quote, capsule in a Mm -hmm. remote piece of soil. So now we get to see Barbara screaming in her box under the ground. But there is a speaker. I don't think there's a speaker in the coffin, but there are these air holes kind of coming up, these pipes through the ground. And she's screaming, screaming, screaming. And they say, stop being a baby and (laughs) turn on the fan. Yeah. They say, stop being a baby. Don't be such a baby. Turn on the fan. And so there is a little switch that she can flip with a fan in the capsule, which I thought was kind of fancy and newfangled. But there's also a light that's attached to the fan. So she has light in the capsule and a fan. And the note says there is enough food, water, and air for a few days. But after that, the air will run out. So you're out of time. I think this is what the CSI episode was an homage to because it also had a light that was attached to a fan. So like you didn't want to use too much electricity. This is a Las Vegas CSI, isn't it? Yes, it was. I've seen it. Yeah, it was a two-parter. Yeah. I feel like we watched it together actually. Did we? Yeah, because I needed moral support. Did we watch it in a hotel room? No, I think at my apartment. Which apartment? The current apartment? No. Do we watch this at the porn apartment? Yeah, at the porn apartment, I think. Sorry, Kimberly was not doing porn in her apartment. She had some neighbors that had activities. Why can't you just let me, let them think that? Oh. Why do you got to blow up my spot that I never did porn? Okay, M, M, mark that point. I'll have to go back and insert me sounding like, oh, yeah, back when. (laughs) That sounds convincing. So- it's not great. This is a trigger warning nightmare. It's pretty bad. She's in a box. It's scary. But for some reason, they gave her water in this like thermos that's down by her feet with a long straw so she can suck on the straw. And then there are caramels. That's not food, y'all. You, you can't give her wrapped up caramels. So she has to unwrap individually wrapped caramels. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. That just makes you more thirsty. So anyways, it seems gross. It seems like that's not a good food. Maybe they thought just like sugar to sustain her. Were they something else? Were they food cubes, like astronaut food, where it's compacted? You did the recap, not me. I didn't even know that there were caramels. To be fair, I only half paid attention because I was so scared. I understand that. But I don't think the caramels is a good idea, if they no matter caramels. what. If they weren't caramels, I'm going to be really upset. <laughs> What, what did they not say what it didn't say? No, it didn't say what food it was. It just showed her unwrapping things. No, it showed the food sitting there. And then later it shows her unwrapping one of the caramels and the last one. I got to look that up. I got to give it a goog. Would you, you would not have an appetite and I would be scared to run out of water. So I would not have anything that would make me get more thirsty. And you can go for days without food. You can't go for days without water. I don't know if there was candy sitting there, if I would be able to not eat the candy. Even if your life was in that much peril, you still might have some. Yeah, I stress eat jelly beans by the fistful. So, I mean, if this was stressful and there was sugar there, yeah, you better believe it. Anyways, we're getting our spooky lady narrator again. And this is, the narrator is a friend that was playing the dead girl game 
with everybody in Florida. And she's telling us that the darkness had caught up with Barbara. When Jane and Robert return home from Atlanta to Miami, the media is swarming the home by the next afternoon. So that's not great. Robert Mackle, of course, is going to pay the $500,000 and places an ad in the Miami Herald to run that day. And it says, loved one, please come home. We'll pay all expenses. So at 3.47 a.m., Friday the 17th, so she's been in the box. So it's almost like two days later. The phone rings and gives directions to a causeway five miles away from their Miami home And that's going to be the drop point for the $500,000. So he tries to find out, he tries to say, you know, what he's supposed to say, which is, how do I know that Barbara's okay? And the kidnapper just says, you don't, and hangs up. I don't know if that actually happened. It makes more sense than the person being like, okay, I'll let you talk to them. Because people in the movies, they, the kidnappers act like the person that's giving them the money has the same amount of control as they do. Like it's a give and take. When in reality, the kidnapper has all the control. So they should just say, you don't. Are you thinking about a career change? But what choice do you have? Are you trying to have me kidnapped? No, I'm just saying. Why do you know that? I never thought about that. They always say, how do I know they're okay? Okay, I'll let you talk to them. But why do they give in to that? Because they, what's the person going to be like, not going to give them the money? Of course, they're still going to give them the money, even if you don't let them talk to the person. That's a very good point. I just had never thought about it before. It seemed very jarring to me because I'd never seen it before. So now I'm worried how you knew that. That makes sense. Oh, goodness. It's all coming together. The plan is going to come together. So they also tell Robert that he needs to come alone. He needs to drive his Lincoln to the drop point and he needs to wear a white suit. Now, is this just so he'll look foolish? No, white suits are amazing. He lives in Miami. What's wrong with you? It's in the late 60s. Yeah, white suit. Absolutely. Have you seen Gatsby? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was in the 20s. I was thinking more Miami Vice. That's white suits too. White suits go all the way. Which is 80s. It never went out of style. It never did. Or it was never in style. It's always dapper. I, I like a white suit. But why do they make him wear the white suit? High visibility? Maybe. Yeah, that definitely could be it. So they can see, like, tell who it is right away. Maybe. I don't know. But this next part, I really don't understand. The FBI, for some reason, did not inform the local police, the Miami police, as to what was going on Mm -hmm. because they thought that the police would leak to the media. So I thought the media was already swarming the house and it was already front page news. Right. But they didn't know about a meeting time or a transfer of money or anything. Thank you. I did not think about that. So they didn't want to leak the details. Right. Because then like the media would show up at the meeting spot and scare off the kidnappers. The media is that dumb? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. That's terrible. Okay. So unfortunately, though, this causes a problem because we hear over the police radio that there's a something, something in progress. And we need officers down here right now because there's a man struggling with a suitcase, a large suitcase and a gun out in the wild, out in this like brush area. They didn't know what they were seeing. They didn't know what was happening. So they draw guns and try to apprehend the man. And he drops the suitcase and runs away from the police. So basically the cops mess the whole drop up. 
This exact thing happens in our Patreon episode, Ransom. And also, we yell, Queen! Queen! About 800 times. So if that interests you, check out our Patreon at the $10 level. What's really sad is that I was going to ask you before if you would refrain from doing Queen! No. Queen! And then, okay, you won't. All right. Can't. Nope. Can't. Stop. Won't stop. Shan't. So basically, the kidnappers now have no money had to run away and have no incentive to tell the family where Barbara is. So the family is pretty upset that the cops messed this up for them. Couldn't they just tell the cops and trust that the cops are not going to tell the media? Apparently the Miami police is Gabby. They like to gossip. I would think that you would tell the chief of police. I would think that you would tell someone and that that person would be on it that night and listening and be like, no, 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 don't go near here. We need this area clear. And you don't tell anyone why. Right, right. That would be my thought, but I don't know. I wasn't around back then. So they, the family needs to release a message to the kidnappers, somehow get something out to them. So now they have to use the media. So Robert Mackel makes a statement. He says he still wants to pay. He wants to communicate. Please reach out through any method. I want to take care of this. Meanwhile... A station wagon is found near that failed drop site, just parked out of the middle of nowhere. It has Massachusetts plates. And inside that car, they find a rope, a ski mask, a key to the roadway motel where the attack happened. Mm -hmm. And they find a bunch of Polaroid pictures of a man in his 20s, some nudie pics, mm-hmm. one of which he has his naughty bits covered with a policeman's cap, which if we remember, the guy at the door was wearing a policeman's cap who was pretending to be a police officer. This, I would say, is my least or favorite. Favorite slash least favorite parts of this episode is repeatedly they say, when they say like, and a picture of him with the police cap, and then they cut to Karen and she'll be like, now you'll remember, or the police remember, that the person who went to the door for the kidnapping was posed as a policeman. Like, they do it like eight times, and each time it's like, yes, we do remember. We, it's a short episode. It's not that short. It's an hour. Maybe they think they're, they're throwing a lot of information at us. Because then later something else, and they're like, you'll remember that the second person was a very slight-framed person. Oh, yeah, they do do that. Yeah, I I almost didn't write down, though. The person spoke Spanish. I almost didn't write down the teenage boy thing. So, I mean, actually, it's good because I did write it down out of just, oh, it might be important. And then, yeah, you're right. They do repeat. So this car is very obviously the car that Barbara was kidnapped in. And the Massachusetts FBI trails the car to a George Deacon the family has no idea who that is. They've never seen this man before. And George Deacon has no criminal record. So old J. Edgar Hoover sends a team of over 100 FBI agents to comb Miami looking for George Deacon. Boy, the days before technology. That's how they had to do it. Can you imagine? But thank goodness the kidnappers call again. And they create a new drop point for the money, which is at the very outskirts of Miami. Meanwhile, back in the coffin... Barbara is reminding herself out loud, (laughs) back in the Christmas coffin, Barbara is reminding herself out loud how to trim a Christmas tree. She's coping. Like physically trim a tree though, like with clippers. I've never done that. 
I didn't know that was, a, I thought tr the trees were pre-trimmed. I thought the trimming of the tree was you put ornaments on it, not you take branches off. You're talking to the wrong person. I am. I'm just talking to myself. Okay. I'm just saying. I don't know. I guess that's what you do. Isn't that in a song? Or no, the night before Christmas, the tree is all, or something trimmed with care? No, I think stockings are hung with care. Hmm. Nothing happens trimmed? Nothing's ever trimmed? Maybe it means both things. You do trim a tree, but the, I thought the trimming of the tree was putting lights on, so I'm not bright. I'm worried about that I didn't know that. I think it might mean both things. But she's talking about, like, you start with the large branches, then you move to the smaller, and at the very end, you put the star on the top. But maybe she is talking about putting ornaments on, but it sounds like she's talking about cutting branches off. So I don't know what she's maybe doing. Maybe... Because her dad would go get a, like a big tree and then they had to like trim it. But nowadays people just buy from a Christmas farm and it's already trimmed. This, this family is very well, they do a good job of keeping grounded because I would feel like somebody who's worth $60 million in the 60s would have people to trim their trees for them. It's part of the uh, charm. Character building. I like it. So anyways, in the Christmas coffin, Barbara has yanked her straw out of her water jug accidentally. That's not good, Barb. So not just that she has now pulled the straw out of her water jug, she's eaten her last caramel, and now the electricity, the light in the box, and the fan are starting to fail. So they're starting to kind of go in and out, and I'm like, turn off the switch, girl, turn off the switch. But I can imagine being in that box trying to remember, you know how if you're low on gas, the starting of the car takes a lot of gas. So you're supposed to kind of leave it on and not turn it off and on. And I'm, I am very nervous that the turning off and on of the switch is the same kind of thing. Yeah, I feel like that's true with like light switches in your house. You do? Okay, crap. Okay, well then I'd be nervous about that. I wonder how much she knows about electricity, but she is in college. We don't know what she's studying. So wait, is the light and the fan are connected? It seems to be, yes. So you can't turn off the light and still have the fan going? I think no. I think you have to have both. The battery is connected to both. In the CSI episode, I feel like he shoots out the light. How does he shoot out the light? He had a gun with him, like, to kill himself because they were torturing him. And they were like, maybe. Oh, my gosh. It was this dark episode. But, or he kicked out the light or something. I thought that was so that the cameras couldn't see him. There were cameras in the box, right? And if there was no light, they couldn't see him. I think the fan went on when the light was off. You couldn't have both on at the same time. I don't remember. Yeah, maybe you're right. There were cameras too. But I felt like it had something to do with the fan. I want to watch that episode. I'm going to go watch that episode. I'm very curious. Okay. It's a good one. And the funny thing is, I didn't really even watch that show, but I really wanted to watch that episode. I think I wanted to conquer my fear. The weird thing is, I remember the double and triple storylines of CSI pretty well, but I don't remember any individual episodes except for the baby one, the guy. Was that CSI, the dressed as a baby? I don't recall that. Okay. Anyways, the second drop is successful. Yay! But the FBI are really struggling to find George Deacon in Miami. Nadoi. That seems impossible. But they do get a hit on the name that there is an employee by that name at the University of Miami in the Marine Science Department. So they go to the Marine Science Department and, of course, show us all the beakers lined up. And the beaker, mm -hmm, science did kidnap her. Or it was a clue that it was that Muppet beaker. 
Beep, beep. Mm-hmm. What's his noise? Yeah, that's... He doesn't that's, make noise. Okay. Yeah. So they talk it. to George Deacon's boss, and he says that George Deacon was came with impeccable reference or impeccable resume, very good at his job. He can build anything. Like, he worked on these boating expeditions for the Marine Science Research Department, and he would build all these things for the boat, including these ventilated boxes for specimens to travel in. So it looks like George Deacon is our fellow. The boss also says that he has one friend named Ruth, which I, to which I said, okay, who cares? And then they say that she is a small woman, about five feet, which at this point they do Kimberly's favorite thing, hearken back to Jane Mackle telling us that the second assailant had a slight frame like a teenage boy, to which I said, how many teenage boys are five feet tall? You mean like a junior, you mean like a 10-year-old boy? I think there are plenty of teenage boys that are teenagers, anyone 13 or older. But if somebody was to say teenager, what age would you think? Just think teenager. How old are you automatically thinking? 15. Yeah, I'm thinking like 16. Do you think there's a lot of teenage boys at 15 or 16 that are five feet? I know one because he's in my family. Are you taking a personal affront to me asking this question? Well, as someone who hasn't quite even gotten past that yet in my old age. You're taller than that. I'm barely taller than that. You're 5'7". <laughs> my mom is not past that, though. But I feel like that is a weird comparison to make. I would say you would just say they were very, very small. I would have thought it was a woman, a grown-up woman who was small. I don't know why they think it's a teenage boy. I feel like, are they making comments about her being flat-chested? Because I feel like that's mean. No, I don't. Well, maybe. I have often described myself as having the figure of a preteen boy. That has happened multiple times. And also not just the figure of a preteen boy, but also having adult acne that is reminiscent of one as well. But this is why I could not be happier to announce that this episode is sponsored by Apostrophe. It's a prescription skincare company for people that are ready to take their acne seriously. You are giddy right now. I'm so happy. And if there's one thing that I take very seriously, it's my face. (laughs) It's all I got. It's your moneymaker. As the host of a podcast, it is your moneymaker. But uh, many of you may remember that in the earlier days of this podcast, I referred to having adult acne on a semi-regular basis or I did and cut it out because I was embarrassed. But it was referenced almost every episode, whether you heard it or not. Yeah, that's true. But if you suffer from adult acne, you know what kind of a toll it can take on your self-esteem. There were days when I didn't want to really leave the house to go to the store, and I felt like I couldn't do so without makeup under any circumstance. And there were actually events that I didn't attend because I was so embarrassed about the state of my skin. Um, Mm -hmm. I got adult acne much later in life. It was a surprise to me. I didn't know how to treat it. So I tried everything over the counter for well over a year and complained about it so much to Kimberly and Oliver that Oliver gave me the ultimatum of you have to find a dermatologist because he saw how much it was affecting me. Now I tried really hard to get a dermatologist appointment in Los Angeles and it was really difficult for me to get one that was less than three months away, number one. So after doing a Google search, I found apostrophe. I have been using apostrophe for years. So that's why I'm so giddy. I was so excited to tell you guys about it because it has been 
a godsend to me and my skin. I do not refer to my adult acne anymore because I don't have adult acne anymore. And that is fully thanks to apostrophe. This is my own personal experience. I can't tell you based on what your skin concerns are, what it'll do for you, but I can speak very confidently about what they did for me. And it was so so easy. Apostrophe makes it easy to see a board-certified dermatologist online. You'll get treated immediately and your medications are delivered to your home. Simply fill out Apostrophe's online questionnaire about your skin concerns and medical history. You snap a few selfies. Your dermatologist will get back to you with a customized treatment plan tailored just for you in very short order. Mine took less than a day mm-hmm. for them to get back to me. It really has never taken more than 48 hours. Yeah, mine too. Way quicker than I thought it was going to be. It's definitely quicker than actually waiting to get an appointment. Apostrophe offers topical and oral medications, so you can treat your acne from the inside out as well as the outside in. Apostrophe treats acne. They can also help you with other skincare goals like reducing redness, wrinkles, and dark spots, which until mm-hmm. recently... check. Check, check. I'm assuming they're going to stay. Um, they're called age spots, Katie. It's called dark spots, Kimberly. So I cannot recommend this service highly enough, and I'm so excited to give you a deal. Get $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at Apostrophe at apostrophe.com slash date dateline. Use our code DATEDATELINE at sign up, and it's $15 off, and this is available only to our listeners. So to get started today, just go to apostrophe.com slash DATEDATELINE, click begin visit, and then use code DATEDATELINE at sign up, and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. Amazing service. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much, Apostrophe. Yay, we're so excited. And I think that, honestly, the company shouldn't be called Apostrophe. It should be called Exclamation Point. (laughs) Back to this assailant description. This very tiny assailant. It seemed weird to me. That seemed like a weird description, and it threw me off. That now, all of a sudden, we're looking for someone five feet tall. I would have liked to have had that information. Because that tells me also, how small was Jane? Wouldn't you just push them down? Be like, bye. Well, the mom was chloroformed and the daughter had her hands tied behind her back by the person who had the gun. She must have been chloroformed extremely quickly. It must have been like, boom, boom, hand on the mouth. Also, she froze. That's a natural response. I'm just saying I would probably try to fight off someone who is five feet. See, I think the same thing, but we don't know because we're not in that situation. That's true. All right. Yeah, I get. Okay. Anyways, so also Ruth has a Spanish accent, and that is the accent used by the person who said, this is in regards to Barbara. I can't do a Spanish accent tonight for some reason. I think because I've been watching Derby Girls, so there's nothing I can do. Dairy Girls? That's what I meant. Dairy Girls. Isn't it so good? Oh, yeah. I wish we could be in it. I was like, Kimberly and I would would have had fun with this. It's so well done. Mike V, you nailed this recommendation, my friend. Yeah. It's really, really it's fun. It's so good. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to be sad when it's over. So, Oh, I was so sad when it was over, and I kind of just wanted to start over like from the beginning again. I'm already going to start over because I'm at ep season. I think I'm at the second season right now, and I think I'm going to go back and do one again. Yeah, I probably will too. Yeah. So are we? how many seasons are there? Are there more than There's two? only two. Oh, gosh. Okay, I'm going to slow down. So 
she has a Spanish accent, so now we know that that is probably our accomplice in this crime with George Deacon. So next, but I'm thinking at this point that there's more than two of them for sure. You're still thinking the yellow sweater is involved. I totally am. So next, a man comes forward to say that he had bought a trailer in a thrift store parking lot from George Deacon a few days ago, one of those detachable trailers that you can like hook onto a car. He said it was too good a deal to pass up. It was $35 and the seller was in a real hurry. And he said, but I really got the creeps when I saw this. And he shows a newspaper clipping about the bungled ransom attempt. Now, I don't know if he cut that out himself and brought it from home to show the cops or he he found it in the trailer. It seemed like he had found it in the trailer. Yeah, that's why he was creeped out. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's why he was creeped. Why would he be creeped out by something he found out in his own paper? I didn't know. I didn't understand why George had cut out the article perfectly instead of just ripping the page and leaving it. It, You know what I'm saying? It was like a perfectly clipped article. Maybe she did it. Okay. That could be like, yeah, to frame later. Maybe he's a scrapbooker. Yeah. When they're living in Mexico with their millions of dollars. I get it. Okay. Or $500,000. So anyways... There's also a a bundle of letters left in the trailer, and some of the letters are to George Deacon, and some are to someone named Gary Crist. So Gary Crist is a fugitive from a Northern California prison where he had been serving time for multiple car thefts. He had escaped from prison and apparently made his way to Florida because his fingerprints matched exactly to those found in the station wagon found at the ransom drop. Don, don, don. So we've got our man for sure. But at this point, it's been four days. Barbara's been in the box. But he has both names. He's the same person. Yes. Sorry if that wasn't clear. George Deacon, Gary Christ, fugitive from the law, are the same person. So George Christ, scientist, marine biologist, and Gary Christ, fugitive, same person. But at this point, it's been four days and Barbara has been in that box. Chances don't look so good. She's not looking so good. However... The FBI gets a call, and it is a set of driving directions to an area about 25 miles away from the Roadway Hotel. It's this rural part of land outside Atlanta, and I am sort of like, how are they going to find her? Because they're showing us this land, and it's like sort of one of those sparse forests. Well, no, there's a couple things that I love. Okay, so first of all, the lady that works at the FBI— I love that a woman was working at the FBI in 1968, even if she's a secretary. I don't care. I was impressed with her. She is chewing gum slash on her lunch break eating food. Mm -hmm. But she takes, she's like instantly on it. She was, yeah. Good for her because that could have gone terribly wrong. She said, can I transfer you? And they said, no, I'm going to tell you myself. And then she got right down to business. She got right down to business. And she could have dropped the ball, like said, I'll get to this afterwards. But she, like after I finished my chicken salad. She wasn't going to do that. But she took care of it. Well, but she then, wasn't going to do that. It's the biggest case they've got. And J. Edgar Hoover is breathing down everyone's neck. That's true. But so I was impressed by her. But then when the FBI guys show up to the location where they need to find her and there's a bunch of guys in suits don't, I was just getting to that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay, so 
I just said, oh, no, how are they going to find her? And the best part of this scene is it's just a sea of men in suits walking this forest floor slowly. Is that what you're talking about? No, they, they're they literally just standing around until the head guy gets there and is like... Oh, until Schroeder gets there? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, search for her every second counts. Well, they're kind of like looking around, but not really. They're just sort of like... Boop, boop, boop. She's not in the sky, guys. Yeah, she... Not really. No, they're kind of just twiddling their thumbs. They're just twi- Like, I guess... We better wait for our official orders to start searching. No, a woman is underground. Start looking. You can be reprimanded later for, you know, just do it, please. Or have him call on the way. I know he didn't have a car phone, but like, just do it. I would say just start looking, guys. But I do love it when they're walking. Did you like that? I did. I liked because they're all in suits. Yeah. And they're all just sort of this sea of black and gray, like walking through this really green forest. First of all, I was like, I don't know how they're going to do this. It was well shot. It looked kind of cool. It was good. This whole thing was pretty well shot, I thought. Yeah. Even the wardrobe was really good. They did it simple and it worked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yellow sweater was a red herring. Or a yellow herring. Yeah. A yellow bird of some sort. I was grumpy. So they're walking through the forest floor and they're looking for anything. And I'm thinking, okay, they've got to be looking for disturbed earth, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I would be looking for. Any Mm -hmm. piles of something like extra dirt or a place with no grass, like Mm -hmm. just dirt. And so they're going, they're going, and they're telling us that these guys are not that hopeful, but they're still definitely looking and the woods go on for miles. So we know at this point that they could just be looking for a dead body of this girl, which is because it's kind of like, will they ever even find her body at this Mm -hmm. point? But one FBI guy, my favorite guy, I don't know why I felt like he was my favorite. (laughs) My favorite guy, he's just sort of looking and he's looking down. And it's nice because none of them are giving that like, oh, this is hopeless. They're not doing that. They're seriously No, they cared. They were policemen and FBI who cared. Well, they also knew that whoever found her was going to probably get a bump with the agency. And their name in the paper. That's true. Maybe a clap on the back from Jay Edgar. Yeah, maybe a bonus from the dad, the rich dad. You've done good, Johnson. Here's a Christmas present from the FBI to you. And here's a special present from Mr. Mackle. Like a watch or something. Like a real estate, like a house. Maybe they send him to like Hawaii. Like someplace beautiful. Or maybe we should never be in a service position because we seem to only want to do it for goods and gifts and money, whereas they maybe were just doing it. That's not true. Out of the goodness of their hearts because they serve as a living. Maybe that's your thinking, but my thinking is more I want to make sure that he gets his something for him. It's Christmas. I want him to have something nice. Go buy yourself a sweater. No, a yellow sweater. But you said that's why they're all searching so hard. I did. I did say that. All right. <laughs> so don't try to walk yourself out of I'm it trying, now. I'm trying to walk myself out now. Okay. Well, I. anyways, so speaking of walking out, he's walking in the woods and sees the three pipes sticking out of the ground and is like, hey, guys, I think there's something here. And goes to his knees and starts digging with his hands. And this was my favorite part because all the FBI guys 
come out and are yelling like, Barbara, Barbara, can you hear us? Knock if you can hear us. And they're all digging with their hands in their suits. That's good stuff. That's a good visual. And I wonder if they did. They must have in real life. They must have just. And so they're pushing the stuff away. And Barbara is looking very not with us in the coffin. She looks like this might be it. But then she hears the voice of the creepy voiceover girl going, you're dying, you're dying, you're dead. (laughs) Great. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Come back to us, Barbara. Come back to us. And Barbara wakes up and is like faintly knocking on the lid like, I'm here, I'm here. And I was really excited because I knew she was going to make it out. I was like, oh, this is this is good. Because the other Christmas episode I watched was a home invasion and the woman makes it out, but she's paralyzed. So I was like, well, that's really sad. That's rough. And she still has a really good spirit and I really wish her all the best, but it was, it broke my heart. I have a dumb question. If there are pipes that go to the ground, above ground, how does it run out of air? Kimberly, I have a lot of scientific questions about this episode. I mean, I assume because the box would fill with carbon dioxide. Were the pipes actually there? But the pipes needed fan to bring out the carbon dioxide and bring in the oxygen. I don't understand. Science? Beaker? Call us. Barbara Baskell. Coffin. No, don't Google it. Interesting. Oh, there's the thing. Oh, 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 here's a picture of it. There's a fan and a light and two vents and she was buried face down. Oh, they made her take a picture. Yeah, they did. There's a book on it. 83 hours till dawn. She wrote a book. I see the hole here. I don't want to see it. But it does show the box with her being face down. But maybe this is something that he drew, like the schematic of the box. Buried alive box. No, but he did take a picture of her. So this story must be much more involved, obviously, than what I'm saying. Of Obviously, it's an ID show. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, there were two air hoses to the surface. So how is she running out of air? The challenge also was to keep her inside. So he lied to her that if she broke through the coffin, the water in the surrounding soil would drown her before she could be saved. That's really bizarre. Okay, we need to find out more about this. So this must be more involved. I don't want to find out more. I'm pretending this never happened. Well, it's good because right now she gets out. So it's very, very dramatic. They're digging. There's violence going. She's looking almost dead, but they pull her out and she is alive. J. Edgar Hoover calls Robert Mackle himself and personally tells him, we got your daughter back and she's safe. I can't do his voice. (laughs) But what about George? George Deacon slash... Ruth Chris Steakhouse is found two days later (laughs) living in a swamp like a filthy animal. Like a filthy animal. He's totally dirty. I kind of thought he was hot. Kimberly. He's he's a swamp man. (laughs) Not like a sexy swamp man. He's just straight up swamp man. He doesn't deny anything that happened. And he admits that this Ruth, Ruth Iceman Shire was his accomplice. But Ruth was not also living in the swamp. Ruth had escaped somehow and was found three months later in Oklahoma. So she sits down in an orange dress and has a statement. She says that she met George in 1968 on a Marine expedition and they fell in love. They talked about running away together 
And he says, yes, we can do that because I have the perfect crime. This seems like it was a more involved conversation. She's really simplifying it, but that's okay. They capture a young rich girl and then they live off the ransom like kings. So he goes to the library, checks out a book of the social registrar, and they pick Barbara Mackle. They like basically pick the family and this is the girl. I don't know why they wouldn't pick someone younger. It would seem easier to take. Just somebody not in college. Right. Someone in like high school. Yeah, that's a good point. I could see not wanting to kill a child, but I don't think their intention was for her to die ever. They made air holes. I don't think they cared. It's very strange. They start observing her. They go to Miami, bury the note like we thought before. Then they go to Atlanta, find out that she's staying at the hotel. And it's at this point that I realized that Barbara was buried in the box while having the flu. And then I got really upset. Yeah. Because that's just not being buried alive. That's being buried alive really sick. Yeah. It's rough. No tissues. I know. Poor thing. A fever. Oh, it's really bad. So yeah, that's insult to injury. So anyways, after they kidnap Barbara, they become separated, Ruth and George slash Christ. They're supposed to meet back up at that first ransom drop that went horribly wrong. They're supposed to meet at the car. But when she goes back to the car, she sees that it's swarming with FBI agents. And so she sort of freaks out and thinks that George just left her. Mm-hmm. That he had the money and didn't need her anymore. So she just got on a bus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally, that was it. She, I guess, had some trauma in her childhood and just thought that she didn't really trust anyone and thought that he had left her in the dust. So that was that. Okay, sorry, Ruth. Uh, that's not what happened at all. He was living in a swamp. I didn't like this whole thing about Ruth, to be perfectly honest. I felt like they were sugarcoating a lot of her involvement in this and making it sound like she just got swept up in the romance of it or something. No, she knew what was happening. She went along with it. I don't care how charming it is or how you want to go and live and be a princess, whatever. You don't, what? You don't do this. Wouldn't the moment come when you're putting on the ski mask where you're like, wait, and he hands you the rag with chloroform? None of those points were like the... I've made a huge mistake. Right. How did my life choices land me here? Because she at no point says things like, I was scared of him. And so I didn't want to say no. No, it's just that we were in love. Yeah. And he took nudie photos of himself, which is gross. And then left them in the car. Why were the photos in the car? Why were you looking at naked photos of him in the car? He left things in the car and he left things in the trailer. He does not clean up after himself. He really did just leave a trail right to it. Yeah. So the most shocking part is that Barbara Mackle goes on to live a fairly normal life. It's pretty exciting. It's the reason that I think I got you to agree to do this was because she lives and not just lives badly. I'm sure she had some trauma, but she did great. She gets to back to her family. She gets to trim her Christmas tree, whatever that means. I think it actually just means cutting the tree. I Googled it. But now I think you are right that the stockings are hung with care and there's no trimming. But I know somebody says trimming. But trimming the tree. But when you would say, if if you said, we're going to trim our tree. What are the halls? What halls are we decking? Stop. These are secrets that I can't tell you. If someone was saying, oh no, we're trimming our tree tonight, I would not think that they were taking scissors to it. I would think that they were putting lights on it and ornaments. What's flocking? Isn't that like snow or is that tinsel? Snow. Snow. That white stuff that goes on a tree looks like fake snow. 
that's a flocked tree. Okay. And flocked wallpaper is fuzzy. Anyways, Barbara had like the best kind of character to be able to survive something like this. Mm-hmm. You would survive it. No, I'm a nervous wreck and my life is fairly cushy. I think you'd be okay. I have faith in you. Thank you. Let's not test it. Let's not try that out. That's not an invitation for someone to be like, surprise, we're going to kidnap you and put you in a box. Okay. Ruth serves four years, four years only in prison and then gets deported back to Honduras. What the heck? She's still there. She's in Honduras today. Go look her up. Gary Christ or George Deacon, whoever you want to call him, served only 10 years and then was paroled in 1979. He now lives in Georgia. But according to Ask Jeeves, there's a book that says he buried Barbara Mackle alive and then became a doctor and a drug trafficker. Yeah, I saw that. It also said he married someone who wrote him letters in prison. Why can he find somebody too? He find, why is he getting all the ladies? Oh, this says at the bottom of the trench was a strategically engineered fiberglass box. Fiberglass box. It had a pump and two plastic pipes that provided air from the outside. It also had food, sedative-laced water, and a lamp. Oh, sedative-laced water. So he drugged her in there. I would say thank you. Give me all the sedatives, please. Oh my goodness, that's so weird. And that's why it needs a pump for the air to go down, down. Wow. Okay. I got to read about this. This is fascinating. Okay. This one thing said it was more like a challenge to him. It wasn't even about the money. He like wanted to be an evil genius. Oh, that makes it so much creepier. Oh, I don't like it. Ew. Okay. So the Christmas miracle to the whole story is not that she got out of the box. It's that she married Stuart. She marries the yellow sweater. And she traded a yellow sweater for a yellow ring around her finger. Did you write that down or did you just come up with that? No, I just came up with that. That was very good. Thanks. I like that. So it's Christmas Hanukkah miracle and she got out. Everything's okay. It's a really scary story, but with a really happy ending. Kind of, except that one girl only spent four years in jail. It's a happy ending for Barbara who was in the box. And Ruth is in Honduras. How many times a year do you go to Honduras? Not much anymore. I still feel like she's going to come get me. I don't feel like we should have done this episode. Do you think that they listen to podcasts? George is 90. Okay. So so I wouldn't be too worried. Okay. Ruth is maybe 86. Are you really worried? What? No. A little. No. You're not worried. Maybe a little. Oh, my goodness. We don't know who's listening to this show. I know that Ruth is not going to come get you. This was a fascinating case with the best possible ending, right? Yes, absolutely. She got out. She lived a normal life. She didn't let this define her. All the pictures of her like being happy with her family. It was great. She's a hero for sure. Yeah, she really is. And also the parents did everything right in this case. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. Yeah, really only that misstep was that police thing. Right. And it wasn't their fault. Yeah. So this could have gone horribly wrong. But, and it also doesn't help to have friends high up in the FBI. Certainly. Maybe we should work on that. Yeah. Who's the head of the FBI now? Can Carrie from Homeland call me? <laughs> yes. Claire Danes is the head of the FBI. Saul? <laughs> yeah. Man- Mandy Patinkin, where are you? Mandy Patinkin is the head of the FBI now. I don't know. I haven't watched that show in a while. I don't even know if he's still on it. I think it's over. I don't know what I'm talking about. Actually, I think the show is completely over. Yeah, I think it's over. 
Well, everyone, I hope you have a happy holidays. And think about it this way. No matter what's going on with your family right now, it's not this. That's true. At least you're not in a box. Yeah. This could be so much worse. So I guess that's the message we want to leave you with. It could be worse. 2020. At least you're not in a box. Right. Right. Um, Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> um, hope it's off to a good start. We ended out 2021 with Hilaria Baldwin and Home oh. Depot recalling almost all of their ceiling fans because the blades just fly off and kill people. So it's been an awesome December. We're glad to move on. Almost all? Just, I was exaggerating, but a lot. Let's just go with a lot. Like of a major brand? Oh, yeah. Is it in the installation or in the design of the ceiling fan? I don't know. Do you have Home Depot ceiling fans? You might want to do some research. I haven't had a ceiling fan since 1993. Sorry, I don't even know what I was doing Why in Why is that so judgy? Was that I like... I would love to have a ceiling fan. It wasn't oh, I judgy. You were it was sad. down upon ceiling fans, fans, and I was like, I have ceiling fans. Well, like I'd moved on. I have fans yeah, like, that sit on top of things. I have central air now, Kimberly. Okay. I'm a grown up. Even with central air, it's nice to have a ceiling fan. And I don't have central air. It's a luxury. So it was a it ceiling is. fan. I would love a ceiling <laughs> fan. Let's, let's move I'm halfway on. There, halfway there to a refrigerator in the garage. I'm I so have a ceiling this fan. inch of moments away. I'm going to get there. This is my year. This is my year. This is the year of the fridge and garage. Yes, it is. And a ceiling fan, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Happy New Year, everybody. We are thinking about you. We hope that you are doing well and that this year is just amazing. We want the best for all of you. Yes, we do. thank you. Okay, bye, everybody. Happy New Year. How's Barbara going to the bathroom? Okay, so I fully, I was concerned about that as well. I think you just go. You just go. And I think you would be so uncomfortable physically. You would be like itchy and rashy and gross. And it would smell in the box very badly. And then if you're rescued, I feel like you'd be really excited that you're rescued. But maybe you'd be a little embarrassed that you were covered in your own feces. I think you'd be more, I don't think you'd maybe do number two. I think you'd hold. For days? I don't know. The human body is kind of amazing. I know when you give birth, you do sometimes. And you're. I've heard people just aren't embarrassed about it because you're giving birth and it's the wonder of life and it's not a big deal. So I don't know.